Hello, everybody. Welcome to Accessible Intellect, the podcast where I talk about really anything that I want to. Most of the topics tend to fall into one of two categories, the first of which is more intimidating subjects that I try to break down into more understandable ways. And the second is topics that don't really have that much discussion around them, but I find really interesting. And today's episode is going to fall into the latter category. Today's topic is a truly interdisciplinary one. At its core is a history lesson, but we're also going to get an intro to cryptography, which if you don't know what that means, I will explain it later, and even a little bit of military strategy. It's a story that I came across only recently, which I find really disappointing for two reasons. The first of which is that it's genuinely just one of the most captivating stories in history that I've ever come across, and so I wish I had learned about it sooner. And the second reason why I find it disappointing that I came across it so late is because it's a story of such obvious heroism and it had an enormous impact on the unfolding of history. But it's not regularly taught or talked about because the heroes of the story are Native Americans. So as always, before we get into it, I want to just provide a little bit of a background so we can all be on the same page in terms of context and understanding. As I'm sure you can imagine, military communication is extremely important, especially during times of war. One of the main challenges of military communication is that two of the primary markers of a good message are in direct opposition with one another. So the first mark of a good message is that the intended receiver should have no confusion about the meaning of the message. Any confusion could cause misunderstandings that could have potentially disastrous outcomes. And the second mark of a good message is that a non-intended receiver, so if the message was somehow intercepted by the enemy, that non-intended receiver should have no idea about the meaning of the message. Having the enemy intercept and understand our messaging will destroy any chances of us having any sort of element of surprise, which could also be potentially disastrous. And so we can see how these two goals are in direct opposition with one another because we want the message to be very obvious to one person, but completely meaningless to another person. So what exactly do I mean by this, and how would this even be possible? So in theory, if I'm sending a message, I could just send the message without any sort of modification. If my message is, send more troops to the harbor, I could just send, send more troops to the harbor. And with that message, the first goal is accomplished. The intended recipient will have no confusion about what I want them to do. However, if the enemy somehow gets a hold of this message, they'll also know just as clearly as the intended receiver what I want and can then act accordingly, which of course we don't want. On the flip side, I could send total gibberish in my message, which would cause no issue if the problem was intercepted because I wouldn't be revealing any intelligence. However, it also wouldn't be helping me because the intended receiver would just be receiving gibberish. And so obviously I wouldn't be receiving any more troops in the harbor. So what we need is something that can be clear as day to the intended recipient, but be as meaningless as gibberish if it gets into the hands of an unintended recipient. This might seem like a really hard thing to do, and it is, but the answer lies in cryptography. Cryptography is the practice and study of techniques for secure communication and the presence of adversarial behavior. There's really two main types of cryptography, the first of which is codes and the second of which is ciphers. You might have heard of these words, but never actually knew the difference. A code is a way of hiding the meaning of a message by using substitution at the word or phrase level. 
So for example, if I want to say send troops to the harbor, but I don't want this information to be revealed should the message be intercepted, I might have agreed beforehand with my partner that I'm communicating with that the word troops should be replaced with Pop-Tarts and the word harbor should be replaced with Los Angeles. So when I send my message, I'm not sending send troops to the harbor, I'm sending send Pop-Tarts to Los Angeles. So now, should this message be intercepted, the meaning is a lot less clear. But the intended recipient knows exactly what I'm saying because we agreed on those words meaning beforehand. Ciphers are similar to codes in that they rely on substitution to hide the meaning of their message. However, ciphers do it on the character level as opposed to the word or phrase level. So a simple example of a cipher is called the Caesar shift cipher, in which every character of the original message will be replaced with the letter in the alphabet that directly follows it. So A becomes B, B becomes C, etc. So when I send send troops to the harbor, S will become T, E will become F, N will become O, and so on. And by the time that this has been done for all the letters in the message, the message will look nothing like send troops to the harbor. This specific example of a cipher is actually not very secure at all, but you can understand how if someone were to intercept it, they would see gibberish, but the intended recipient, assuming that they knew beforehand that we were using the Caesar shift cipher, would be able to decipher the message and get the original meaning quite easily. The Navajo code talkers, who we're going to be talking about today, primarily worked in code, but there were some scenarios in which they used ciphers as well. Cryptography is extremely relevant today, and it might seem like a really technological subject, but it's actually been used for thousands of years. And throughout that time, it's been relied upon for military communication and other sensitive information sharing. Today's story is about World War II, a war in which cryptography played an enormous role in the outcomes. Something called cryptography machines became very widely used by both sides during World War II. What they did was they used an extremely complicated method for enciphering or deciphering a message, which turned out to be much more secure than something like the Caesar ship cipher, which would have been cracked pretty much immediately. So the way that the cryptography machines worked is the original message would be fed to the cryptography machine, which would then encipher the message and spit out the enciphered message. Then I could send this enciphered message to whoever I want to send it to. And keep in mind, it seems like gibberish. And then they could go feed the gibberish, enciphered message, to their cryptography machine, which would then decipher the message and spit out the original message, clear as day. So these were phenomenal because they made it so there was virtually no question that the intended recipient would be able to understand the message, but also added a lot of security in that if the message was intercepted, all the interceptor would receive is gibberish that they wouldn't be able to decipher unless they have the cryptography machine and know how to use it, which is very unlikely. And in case it wasn't clear, both sides of the war have their own very distinct versions of cryptography machines. So both sides know how to use their own, but don't know how to use the other sides. And so these cryptography machines were great for both sides because they helped them achieve the two goals of good military messaging that I mentioned in the beginning of the episode. No confusion for the intended recipient, but only confusion for an unintended recipient. With the caveat that the ciphers that the cryptography machines employed weren't always perfect, and some of them ended up being cracked. The most famous example of which is probably Alan Turing, the British mathematician, cracking Enigma, which was Germany's cryptography machine. So the cryptography machines in general were great, 
but they were far from perfect for two main reasons. First, they weren't perfectly uncrackable, as Enigma showed. And it turned out that the Japanese were extremely good at cracking ciphers, and the Americans were having a really hard time coming up with something that wouldn't be broken. Second, in the heat of a battle, it can be a really big pain to have to type out your message and have to communicate an enciphered version of it, which of course will have to be communicated letter by letter versus just speaking, which is of course a lot quicker. And once the recipient receives the encrypted message, they then have to type it in letter by letter into their cryptography machine before receiving the original message. So we can see how this is a lot more slow than just normal speaking. And so in high stress situations, good military messaging has a third requirement. Not only does it need to be clear for the intended recipient and unclear for the unintended recipient, but it also needs to be fast, ideally as fast as just normal talking would be. So we could invent our own language in which every English word has a corresponding word in our new made up language. But in reality, this is actually a really horrible solution for a couple reasons. First of all, anybody who would be employing this new language would have to be truly fluent because the whole point of inventing this new language is that messages can be sent quicker. So if the folks doing communications are having to look up words in some sort of dictionary, that would ruin the whole point. Never mind the fact that should one of these dictionaries be intercepted, the whole entire language would have to be thrown out. So this would mean that we would have to make the hundreds if not thousands of people using the military communications network, make them become fluent in an entirely new language in a short amount of time, that's clearly not feasible. So we need a language that can be spoken very quickly, that has no risk of confusion for the intended recipient, and has no chance of being understood by an unintended recipient. This is where the Navajo people come in. Navajo is the second largest Native American tribe, with nearly 300,000 members and 27,000 square miles of land in Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. Like many Native American tribes, the Navajo have their own language. It has some similarities to other Native American languages, but was of course totally different from any Romance language, Asian language, or just any other language from around the world. It was this uniqueness, along with the fact that many Navajo people were fluent in English, that gave the Navajo language its cryptographic power. In 1942, the idea was proposed to use the Navajo language as a means for military communication. Despite living in harsh conditions and being treated as inferior people by the U.S. government and non-Native Americans, the Navajo Tribal Council supported the war effort and many Navajo men volunteered to help. The way the Navajo code worked was really mostly through simple translation. The Navajo code talker would be told what to say and would then translate that from English to Navajo and send the Navajo version of the message. On the receiving end, there would be another Navajo code talker who would hear the Navajo translate that to English, and relay the message to his fellow Marines. For technical or military terms for which there was no comparable word in the Navajo language, they created code words. Eventually, there were a few hundred of these code words. For lesser used words that were neither in the Navajo language nor the Apritacon code words, or for people or places, they were spelled out using translations from English words that began with the appropriate letter. So for example, if there was no Navajo word for rat, and for whatever reason they wanted to send rat, but rat wasn't one of the predefined code words, and rat also wasn't in the Navajo language, the code talker would have said rabbit, ant, turkey, but with these words, of course, translated into the Navajo language. And the words for each letter were agreed upon beforehand to eliminate any possible confusion. So you can see how codes, substitutions at the word level, and ciphers, substitutions at the letter level, 
were both utilized in the Navajo code. The Navajo went through a couple weeks of training to understand this process and memorize the code words and letter translations. Having these things memorized was vital, because if the code talkers relied on some sort of written guide, the code would no longer be a secret should a single one of these guides be taken by the enemy. Luckily, the Navajo language traditionally doesn't have a written script, so they're accustomed to committing pretty much everything to their memory. William McCabe, who was one of the Navajo trainees, said, In Navajo, everything is in the memory. Songs, prayers, everything. That's the way we were raised. So I think that there's a certain irony in the fact that it's aspects of the very same culture that white settlers and the United States government has worked so hard to tear down ends up being this exact same culture that helps it win the war. Before having the Navajo code talkers send real messages about the war, the system had to be tested. So some trials were held where the code talkers translated a message from English to Navajo and then sent the translation, which was then translated back to English by a different code talker some distance away. Every message was translated perfectly. Recordings of the message were then given to U.S. Navy intelligence for them to try to crack. After three weeks, they made no progress, and one of them said, we couldn't even transcribe it, much less crack it, which makes sense because some of the sounds of the Navajo language are very different from English. So the Navajo code talkers gave the Americans all three marks of good military messaging. Clarity for the intended recipient, confusion for the unintended recipient, and efficiency of communication. The Navajo code talkers immediately had a positive impact on the war in the Pacific, and as time went on, America became more and more reliant on them. You might know that the Battle of Iwo Jima was a pivotal moment in the war for the U.S. because of the strategic location that it afforded the U.S. and the psychological impact that it had on both sides' populations. In this battle, over 800 Navajo messages were sent and received without a single error. There's a quote from Major General Howard Connor that says, Without the Navajo, the Marines would have never had taken Iwo Jima. At this point, I think it's pretty obvious that the Navajo code talkers were heroes, but their sacrifices and willingness to serve is even more incredible when you account for the fact that the people they were fighting alongside and for have really only ever treated them with hate and disrespect. They owed the United States nothing, yet so many of them volunteered to help. Also, the battles forced them to go against their spiritual beliefs at times. The Navajo believe that the spirits of the dead will seek revenge on the living unless ceremonial rites are performed on the body. The battles that the code talkers were in were very bloody, yet they continued to do their job despite the spirits that haunted them. The Navajo Code is one of the few throughout history that were never cracked. The Japanese chief of intelligence later admitted that they weren't able to make any real progress on it, despite having some of the best cryptanalysts in the whole world. The downside of this was that the Navajo Code remained classified until 1968, and as a result, the Navajo Code Talkers weren't recognized for their unique efforts until then. Now they're receiving some of the recognition that they deserve. August 14th is National Navajo Code Talkers Day. Work is being done to build a museum for them in New Mexico, and they've all received congressional silver or gold medals. While these things are great, I believe that the story of the Code Talkers should be taught throughout schools in America. What little curriculum that there is about Native Americans, at least in my experience, is all about the atrocities that have been committed against them by white settlers in the United States government. Don't get me wrong, I think that these stories are incredibly important to share and shouldn't go anywhere, but by only including these stories when teaching about Native Americans, it can have the effect of painting them as nothing more than victims. I believe that teaching about the Native American culture and stories of their bravery, alongside the things that have been done to them, would be better than the history of the hatred towards them alone. Although, I am a white woman, so maybe this isn't my place to say it all. Next, I want to acknowledge the three Navajo code talkers that are still alive today. 
Thomas H. Begay, who is 97 years old, Peter McDonald, who is 94 years old, and John Kinsell Sr., who is 106 years old. We are forever indebted to the three of them, as well as the hundreds of other Navajo Code Talkers that have since passed on. Thank you all for your service. I learned a lot while creating this episode. I want to thank Simon Singh for writing The Code Book, which is not only one of my favorite books, but also provided the inspiration and lots of information for this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, you'd probably love the book, so you should check it out. Finally, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Accessible Intellect. I think it's been the most important one I've done so far. If you liked it, I recommend you check out my earlier episodes. In my first episode, I break down a complex mathematical proof into a way that everybody can understand, regardless of background. In the second, I answer the question, what is the internet? Because a lot of us really don't know. And in the third episode, I discuss some specific perspectives that I utilize to keep a more positive mindset. Clearly, I discuss a wide range of topics in this podcast. Really, nothing is off limits. If you have an idea for a topic that you'd like me to discuss, I'd love to hear about it. You can put that or any feedback in the Q&A section, which you can find at the bottom of the episode on Spotify. If you like the podcast, you can leave up to a five-star review and follow so you never miss an episode. What would mean the most to me is if you shared it with a friend. Your feedback and sharing makes a much bigger difference than you realize. I'm really excited for next week's episode. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll talk to you then. Bye, everybody.